Friends, this uh, weekend, um, about 60 of our uh, students are um, away on our spring semester retreat, uh, separate men's and women's retreats. And uh, the women for their theme this year picked uh, the four Greek words for love. You may have heard of this kind of concept that the, uh, the Greeks had these four different words to capture different aspects of the nature of love. And uh, C.S. Lewis kind of popularized this with his book, The Four Loves, which is one of my favorite C.S. Lewis books. So I was very excited when they, uh, they picked this theme. I had a mass for him uh, this morning up at Camp DeSales, and uh, it was hard for me to keep my homily like really short because I had to get down for this mass, but I was so excited to talk about uh, The Four Loves. Um, and so if you, if you aren't familiar with it, uh, uh, there's you know, four loves to capture the four different ways that we, right, interact with, with people. So storge is uh, what we might call family affection, right, the love that describes uh, the affection of, of family love. Philia uh, describes friendship, um, and so uh, that's generally characterizes the relationship between friends. Eros is sexual and uh, romantic love, right, erotic love, the, the Greek word eros. And then agape is kind of the word that describes sort of the um, disinterested, um, self-sacrificial love of, of just putting the other person um, before ourselves. And so one of the cool things that I shared with the ladies this morning is one of the cool things that Lewis points out in the book is that God in the scriptures describes himself in terms of all four of those types of love. Right? And so, uh, if you think of storge, family affection, God's described as right, father throughout the scriptures. In much of the wisdom literature, God is given right, maternal, motherly characteristics. Uh, St. Paul, Paul refers to Jesus as our brother right, in one of his letters. Israel and the church are both called our mother. So there's all this familial language in which God describes his relationship with us in terms of storge, in terms of family love. In terms of philia, friendship, uh, Jesus says, I no longer call you my servants, I call you my friends. Jesus describes his relationship to us in terms of friendship. The scripture is full of of God describing his relationship with us in terms of eros, right? Throughout the scriptures, we have this nuptial metaphor of God marrying us, right? As a young man marries a virgin, your builder shall marry you, Isaiah says, right? As a young man rejoices in his bride, so shall your God rejoice in you. St. Paul, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. There's this nuptial spousal imagery throughout the scriptures, that God loves us as a spouse. And then finally, of course, that God loves us unconditionally and in this incredibly selfless manner. God so loved the world. God so agape the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. One of the things that I love about that is that, um, and I shared this with the young ladies, that Pastorally, this has been really important to me because sometimes those types of loves are really wounded for us. 
And it's really cool that God speaks to us in a variety of those human relationships so that if we struggle to connect with one, there's others. I gave the example of, um, I remember uh, a, young, uh, a young man coming to me once and saying, I can't pray the Our Father because I was physically and sexually abused by my dad. And that, that was like really enlightening to me because it, it's a blind spot for me, a good blind spot. Because my dad, and I talk about him a lot, my dad's like my hero. Like what, so when I pray the Our Father, I'm excited about it because if God's anything like my dad, I am excited for heaven. To spend eternity with my dad, like that, like I have no problem imaging God as Father. But this man did, and I thought, yeah, can you imagine how painful that is to pray our Father? Right? If that's your image of fatherhood, right? So it was cool to say, you know what though? Do you have a, a mother, a sister, a brother, a friend, a lover? Somebody that puts you first. Do you have other areas that you could say, let's find Jesus there in friendship. Let's find Jesus in the image of your sister. Let's find Jesus as your lover, right? Or let's find Jesus in the person that puts you first all the time and is really generous in serving you. In other words, while that is being redeemed, hopefully someone comes in his life and redeems the, a fatherhood for him. But while that's happening, God describes himself in this incredible richness of human relationships so that we can connect with him in a variety of ways. All right, all that was a preface for my homily, because that has nothing to do with the readings, but I'm going to be short. <laughs> Jesus says in the gospel, they love your enemies. This is generally seen as like the prototypical agape kind of love. See, because in Storge, Philia, and Eros, um, there is a natural bond with the person. Okay? Whether it's family, it's family ties, natural bond. Whether it's friendship, some shared interest or, or common experience. Where it's lovers, it's attraction. Right? But in agape, we often have no connection with the one that we're called to love. So whether it be a stranger or whether it be an enemy, we don't have a desire to love them in the same way that we might have a desire to love our family members, our friends, and our lovers. And so the, the idea has been that the height of moral excellence is to love those for whom uh, you get nothing for in return. Okay. There's a, there was a German uh, philosopher, very famous, Immanuel Kant, right, who did a lot with this work. Right? And he's, I think, really influenced this notion that altruism means to give in a completely disinterested way, to not get anything back in return. I've never been comfortable with this, right? Because ultimately, the totality of who we are, which means to choose to love with the will, but also ultimately to want to love them with desire. It's to love both with the will and with the emotions. And so that's why I don't think agape, I think agape is meant to eventually turn into another kind of love. One of the coolest uh, versions of this in the scriptures, I think, is if you remember Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Right on the seashore after the resurrection. And the Greek translation, which is not what Jesus would have said it in probably, he would have said it in Aramaic, 
But at least the Greek translation, Jesus says to Peter, do you agape me the first time? Peter says yes. Jesus again says, do you agape me the second time? But then the third time he says, do you philia me? Friendship. In other words, he might be saying to Peter like, do you love me because you know you have to love me first? But then ultimately he wants to, Peter to get to a point that he loves him as a friend. That he actually desires to want to be with him. Right? He wants to share life with him as a friend does. Not just to love him because I ought to love you. And I'm going to choose to love you. Right? Now don't, don't misunderstand me. Often agape is where it all has to start for, for a lot of love. Like we just got to grind it out a lot of times. Right? It's like I don't want to love you. Uh, I find you unlovable, you're my enemy, you're a stranger, I have no uh, desire to love you, but I just got to do it because it's the right thing to do. Often that is how love has to start, right? But it's not meant to end there. The height of moral excellence is not to just grit our teeth and will love. The height of moral excellence is to learn actually not to love our enemies because they're our enemies, but actually to find what is redeeming within them. I think about this too with God's love. God doesn't want us ultimately just to love him because he ought to be loved. Right? Sometimes it starts there. right? But it's never meant to end there. He wants us to love him because he sees us as a friend. Right? As a spouse. As a family member. As a father. He wants us to develop a deeper union. It's interesting, Jesus says, I, the, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for, does anybody know? For one's friends, not one's enemies. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You would actually expect him, I would expect him to say enemies there. If, if love your enemies is the height, right, of moral excellence. It says, he says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Again, I'm not putting down agape because, again, we often have to love like that. And often the ones closest to us are the hardest to, to love. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find loving my family, friends, I don't really have lovers, as you can imagine. Um, but I... That would be the problem, right? But Eros, Eros doesn't exactly mean just... Uh, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, I find it more difficult sometimes to love my family and friends than I do a complete stranger. Lewis talks about why that might be in the book. Um, right, so sometimes loving closest, those closest to us is harder than loving those at an arm's distance. Right? We can kind of say I love my enemies abstractly. But how about loving the enemy in your own family? Right? How about loving the stranger in your own family? Right? Sometimes that's even harder. So I don't know if I'm making any sense today. This is kind of convoluted. I was trying to tie this gospel into the book that the women were doing on the women's tree. I don't know if I'm succeeding. But the point is that ultimately Jesus does call us to this high standard. But when we apply this kind of love, love of God and love of neighbor, right? I think he wants something even deeper. I don't think he wants us to love him at an arm's length, right? Like 
He just deserves to be loved. He wants us to grow in union with him. When we love our neighbor, and especially the neighbors that we struggle to love, I don't think he even wants us to love them at an arm's length. He wants us to get to know our enemy. He wants us to possibly eventually want what's best for them, right? To want what's good for them, not just to love them as enemy and leave them there, but to start to work the heart towards something that says, I can die even for the one that used to be my enemy, but now I want to be uh, my friend. And so as we uh, come across this Sermon on the Mount teaching, which is uh, very challenging for us, um, let's again strive uh, to live the radical demands of the gospel, gospel of love, and whether that's storge, family love, philia, friendship, eros, uh, spousal love, or agape, uh, we're called to continue to love, to love God above all things, and to love our neighbor as ourselves.